Hey, it's time for episode 492 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise. You know, I asked Dan uh, when we were recording, when we were going to be recording this episode of Clockwise, and uh, he got back to me. He said, March 1st. So I walked around the room and I asked him again. I am one of your hosts today, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by the guy who told me to march first. It's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing fine, Micah. I've been walking in place. I actually have a friend whose birthday was March 4th. And she always said that it was one of the few dates that was in a command mm-hmm. sentence. March 4th. The other one is August 11th. <laughs> yeah, for reasons we can't get into. Yes, I can't tell you why, but it's true. Uh, well, I know some things I can tell you. I can tell you who's joining us today at this very table. To my left, it is the senior developer advocate at GitHub, as well as I would say one of your favorite ADHD podcasters, it's Christina Warren. What's up, Christina? Hello, great to be here. And to my left this week, it is a creative director and a lovely fellow from across the pond. It's Christopher Finn. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you, Mr. Warren. How are you all? So let us get this show rolling because we've only got 30 minutes. My question for you, uh, Pokemon Sleep was recently, I, I guess it was a, it had been announced a while back, but uh, now we've got an idea that it's going to be coming out soon. It's this uh, essentially sleep tracking app. And when you connect up your sleep data to it, then you collect Pokemon by sleeping. And it had me wondering, because I can imagine some people will be hopping on that train. Uh, how do you decide which companies to trust with your data, uh, you know, different types of data, and which do you distrust? And how do you kind of make that uh, decision? And then has anything convinced you to bypass those rules that you've set for yourself, like a shiny Pokemon? Could that get you to give up your data when you may not have otherwise wanted to? Uh, Christina, we'll start with you. I definitely give my data up to some companies that I know that I probably shouldn't. I'll answer that part first um, because I do have rules about or I try to have rules uh, being a good security citizen about who I will give data to and who I won't. Um, And so usually that line is, you know, do I trust this company to not sell this to everyone? And so that means that there are a lot of companies who if their business is basically selling ads on top of things, I know that my data is probably going to be part of that. The second part is, do I trust them to keep my data secure? Because to me, that's honestly, in many cases, more important because I've kind of become, I've just accepted that my information for many, many things is going to be in the hands of a lot of people. But I do kind of draw the line at getting the Google router, for instance. I won't go that far because I'm like, you already know everything about me and most of the websites I visit, but I don't know if I actually want you connected to my internet. Um, it, it, the same thing, like I wouldn't buy a, a Facebook camera for, for similar reasons. Having said that, what's more of a concern for me is, do I trust these companies to not like have a security breach and leak my data? That That would be scarier to me. To answer your second question, are there things that will get me to break those rules? Absolutely. If something is really cool or, frankly, really convenient, there are a lot of, um, I guess, misgivings I can make. For instance, I have an Oculus Quest 
And so Facebook, you know, has more information about me. And that's you know not something that I necessarily want, but it's pretty cool. Google, as I said, knows basically everything about me. Why? Because their services are just so convenient. So yeah, I will I, I try to have uh, standards, but those standards can very easily be broken for convenience or or cool factor. Um, I'm curious to hear from you uh, when we come back around if you are going to give in uh, knowing your love of Pokemon. Part of the challenge with it is I have so much stuff online, as I'm sure many of us do, going back so many years to the point before I even ever started to think about privacy or data online because I've been using the internet for 30 plus years. But when it comes to like new companies now, when I'm signing up for services or products or what have you, I do tend to try and think a little bit more about it. There are a lot of cases where I minimize my data footprint, like a few years back when I really kind of, you know, I, when I first signed up for Facebook, I, I put all the information in. Oh, well, you want to know my birthday? Sure. Here's my birthday. You can send me a little like image with a cupcake on it. Great. Uh, but nowadays I've gone in and sort of scrubbed a whole bunch of the information from my profile and left in basically the bare minimum for what I need to like just have that account on. Not that it's an account I even use. Um, and that's true of a lot of the other, uh, you know, services online, especially free services that tend to make a lot of their money from things like collecting data about people. Uh, and I've tried to be better recently about when I'm signing up for something that seems like very much like a one-off, like, oh, you know, they want an email, I have to create an account or whatever, like using Apple's um, sign in with Apple service where it hides your email, uh, you know, or or generates a fake email for you, essentially or a forwarding email. I try to use that more so I can get rid of that if I decide, oh, yep, that one, that service was definitely using all my information. I'm not always the best about it, and I've tended to use the same email address, which I've also had for a super long time for a lot of services because it's convenient. Um, and so there are definitely places where I can improve on that. In terms of trusting these you know, companies to keep our information safe, very rarely. Uh, but again, it's kind of the cost of doing business at this point. So there's definitely companies that I trust more with maintaining my personal information, like Apple. And there's definitely com- companies I, I trust less. But you know, in the case of big monolithic companies like Amazon, there's only so much you can do. It's like Amazon, again, so convenient. I could take a stand and say like, oh, I'm going to buy all this stuff not from Amazon so that they don't have any more information off me. But it's just really hard. Uh, and so, yeah, will anything get me to compromise those value? Apparently, sheer laziness is the answer. <laughs> Chris, what about you? So my main thing is I think about the risk-to-reward ratio. And if me ceding some control over my personal data or over my um, potential future security is that I get access... I like When the last round of, sort of AI avatar things was doing the round i was like those look quite cool i should do that and then i thought no (laughs) because i don't particularly want my information and particularly my photos and everything else going into big training corpus and doing a bunch of stuff that nobody can control the designers can't control we don't really understand the implications of this and it's to your point as well dan as well dan about how long these things can hang around i remember when gmail first came out writing a review of it and this was very exciting because at the time Gmail came with like a gigabyte of mail storage when most like email providers came with like 100 meg or something preposterous. But I remember that in order to t- test its much touted spam filters, I put my uh, then f- 
boxfresh gmail address into a bunch of very dodgy websites <laughs> and tested it not knowing <laughs> that over the next 20 years that email address would become a central part of my digital identity oh. and unlock so much stuff so oh it started God. off incredibly compromised and i like i learned from that and you've just got to be a little bit sensible there are some types of data that I am more protective with. I think that is where I do have sort of, uh, you know, a brain space and, and an understanding of how I want to uh, or not want to share data. Um, and health data is one of those things. I remember um, the Ember mug, uh, which is for folks who don't know, it's a mug that has a battery built in and it heats your uh, beverage or rather it doesn't necessarily heat your beverage. What it does is it keeps your beverage at a specific temperature and they added some stuff uh, at one point, some new features, including the ability to kind of track your caffeine intake. Um, and you needed to partner up with the the health app. And I had already read through the privacy policy from Ember uh, before this because of a change in the app where you had to sign up for an account in order to use it. And in doing so, that was enough for me to say, no, I'm not going to connect my health data to that. And I'm still very careful about that. Even apps that, um, you know, I may do health tracking with them. Sometimes you pop into those apps and you see that, yes, it is writing uh, the specific health data that it's writing to your health app, but it's requesting a bunch in return and stuff that it doesn't necessarily need to do what you are expecting of it. And so all of that leads me to be very careful about my health data in particular. Uh, thank you all for your answers on that question. I think we all learned a little bit about ourselves and each other. <laughs> Let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Christina. How does someone manage personal music collections in this era of, of streaming that we've now been in for you know more than a decade? Like, I, I'm going to have to delete and remove a bunch of albums from my Apple Music account just so I can con continue to add more. And I'm going to have to maybe rethink what some of my approaches have been in the past to uploading music to to a library so I can continue to sync it. And so I, I just kind of wonder, like, there still are albums that are not available anywhere else online. So how does someone manage, you know, kind of like a personal music library? Or, or do you even bother with that um, in this era of, of streaming music that we've been in? I resisted the Apple Music thing and the streaming music thing in general for a super long time because I was very happy with my iTunes library and I had iTunes Match as well. And I eventually took the plunge and mostly it's been fine. I do tend to have a lot of stuff that's not uh, been in Apple Music historically because I listen to a lot of movie scores and movie soundtracks. And for a long time, that was something streaming did not do well. It's actually improved a lot, but I do still have things that were just never, you know, never released digitally, much less, uh, you know, on a streaming service. And so for those things, I have them, you know, ripped to my iTunes library. And it mostly, again, seems to work fine, like it intermixes it. But I've also really benefited, I think, from the ability to just, you know, go to Apple Music search for a thing and go click it's in my library um there's a lot of stuff that i would not have probably listened to were it i have to go buy a cd or go buy an, a digital album of something because i just wouldn't take the plunge not knowing am i going to enjoy this but yeah i think uh, you know there are other options as well i know a lot of people who use plex to manage music libraries when it's something that they don't want in uh you know uh, uh, the music app or what have you um, but they still want access to it in various places. And I think there are other options as well. But for me, I've just sort of, I don't know, I kind of just gone with the flow. Chris, what about you? 
I feel so called out by this question, Christina. Um, there is a 27-inch iMac sitting off um, to my right, and it is losing value every day, but it needs to be sold. And the reason it hasn't been sold yet is because I haven't got my head around sorting out the music library yet. There are some tracks on there that aren't syncing up, and I, I need to sit there and figure out why. It's things like uh, tracks that are associated to old uh, Apple yes. IDs that like that mm. I used to share with my mm. wife and I don't have access to that at virgin.net email address anymore. I have sorted it once before speaking to Apple support and a very nice man in Cork took me through a very laborious process and, and we sorted it. I can't remember how we sorted it, <laughs> but a little bit like you're all saying, there's stuff on there that doesn't exist in music libraries and music streaming services and I want to listen to it, please. So the answer to your question, Christina, how do you manage these things is through gritted teeth and chaotic. <laughs> these days, I have my Apple Music library that I have, you know, built over time and I... Anytime new music comes out, I add the album to my library. And anytime a specific song uh, comes out that I, you know, find on a show or something, and I go and I get it and I add it to my uh, music library. That's the extent of what I do these days. It used to be so much more involved and I had, you know, Spotify for listening to uh, music throughout the day because I loved the sort of DJ uh, algorithm features. And I think that a big reason why my personal music collection has sort of uh, fallen by the wayside in terms of organization and sort of attention paid is because these days I am much more of an audiobook listener than I am a music listener. And that used to not be my behavior. I used to listen to music a lot more. But I would say in the past, probably since 2019 or so, um, audiobooks have been where I do my listening. So yeah, it's just not not uh, as much attention being paid. So I don't feel <laughs> sort of driven to uh, put in the energy to keep that managed. But Christina, I am curious to hear about your solutions or lack thereof. I had made the mistake of, and I do have them backed up. I just don't have them easily accessible. But I did used to do that thing where I would very meticulously bring over the big iTunes library to my main machine and then try to upload things to Match. Um, but Match doesn't always work. And what I recently found out years later than I should have is that Apple apparently continues to search your library and see if it finds matches for things. And if it finds matches for things, it'll delete what you've uploaded. The problem is, is that not infrequently albums are removed from iTunes for various reasons or from Apple Music. And if that happens, then all of a sudden, this stuff that you thought was going to be available to you is not available to you anymore. Uh, and then you have to re-upload it and go through like the whole process. So basically, I wish I could just give it up, but I like music too much and I run into circumstances where I really want to listen to a certain soundtrack and I can't because I have access to it, but I don't know what Dropbox or or, or Synology mm -hmm. or, or iCloud folder mm -hmm. it's in, and it's not in my my match stuff. So it's yeah. frustrating. It's frustrating. It is frustrating. All right, folks, uh, let us take a quick break because it's halftime. And the sponsor today is Squarespace, who are bringing you this episode of Clockwise. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand, growing your business online, or, you know, just having a website. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience. And also, if you're into that, you can sell stuff, your products, your services, even the content you create. Squarespace has got you covered. and. 
I love this. You can get started with a best-in-class website template and customize it to fit your needs. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business to find a perfect starting place and then customize it with just a few clicks. You should join Squarespace by heading to squarespace.com slash clockwise for a free trial, and that's with no credit card required. And then when you're ready to launch your site, use the offer code clockwise to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash clockwise. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code clockwise to get 10% off your first purchase. And of course, to show your support for clockwise. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, we are back from halftime and that means it's time for Dan's topic. So there was a recent story in the Wall Street Journal from Joanna Stern talking about uh, basically people's iPhones getting stolen and their Apple IDs being compromised and in some cases uh, getting money siphoned from their bank accounts. Um, and a lot of this seems to be around the idea of people spying on uh, users as they're like entering their pins, essentially, um, and then using that information to compromise a lot of the other stuff connected to their account. So my question for you is, I mean, like, how much of a real issue is this does apple are there changes apple needs to make to its security model is this something that's entirely incumbent upon the users themselves practicing good security what are your sort of thoughts on this particular risk situation chris let's start with you looking at the story it it, it now i'm a journalist by trade i think journalism is a fine and noble uh, profession in most cases but i worry a little bit about scare, scaremongering from that point of view because yes if somebody has your passcode they can get into your phone i think the only things i'll say from a practical point of view if you're listening to this and you are worried about that story or stories like it is a use biometrics if you can which don't require people which you can't surf in the same way as you can surf a passcode um, and the use of biometrics so that you know, a fingerprint or a face scan, the reason that is particularly useful as well is it means that when you do have a passcode, which is what you actually, that's the thing that actually unlocks your phone is the passcode. The biometrics is a layer on top of that, I think. Um, you can do something crazy because you hardly ever need to use it. You know, if you've got your face ID or your touch ID or your equivalent on Android set up, you don't need to enter your passcode very often. And so your passcode should be at least a six-digit passcode, preferably a long alphanumeric passcode that you can enter more securely when you need to. When you take a step back and you think about, you know, the work that we do, this is what we do for work. But the person who uh, goes is, is a truck driver, I guess, and goes to work every day and drives trucks. And then, you know, after, a don't know, a 24 hour shift, they get to finally take a nap. Um, They don't necessarily have the time or the 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 mental uh space to think in depth about the way that uh their technology can be hacked or cracked or tracked or not hacked or tracked or cracked and so you know a, a big publication like the wall street journal talking about this may give more people just a little bit more of a heads up and awareness about these things the the thing that i see that always bog, bugs me it's the way that something from a publication with someone joanna stern who absolutely knows what mm-hmm. she's talking about and is getting all the details there but then you go and you look at all of the local news stations that have taken this and uh, just absolutely uh taken it 
apart and and put it back together in you know five sentences instead of the hundreds of sentences that are in the piece and it loses the original meaning it becomes more about the fear the uncertainty the doubt and it loses what its original intention was and so i always am worried and bothered frankly by the way that these stories kind of disseminate and that is where i think it's our job to you know go okay uh, you probably saw this on the local news. Let me explain how this is actually working and how you don't have to worry about it. Um, or here's how you make sure that it's not a concern for you. So, yeah, it's it's a little this, a little of that, I think. Um, I'm going to stop sermonizing, though, because, Christina, it's your turn. This is actually one thing I do think Apple could do. Don't allow people to have four-digit um, passcodes. Mm-hmm. Require six, because six is, even from a cracking standpoint, if people have professional tools, um, much, much harder to crack than four. Also, don't allow people to have repeating passcodes. So if you have two of the same numbers over and over again, you shouldn't be, that shouldn't work. I think there are some things that Apple could do to make that more secure. Might add more friction for users, but sometimes that's the only way you can get it, um, people to to act in their best interests. But I think this has been overblown, but I also am not upset if people are learning, hey, I need to not have the, the four-digit pin. I should set up biometrics. I should also be aware that I shouldn't be reusing the same pin. That's another thing, too, is that not just, you know, people using, um, you know, maybe 0000, but if you use, like, a birthday as your pin, if you're using that same pin for all of your services – let's just say that you couldn't get into something in your password vault that could give people access as well. And I think as much information and as much education as we can give people about that, um, is, is a good thing. So I sort of started out from an opinion very much like where Chris was and having, you know, read the story and, and watch her video. And Joanna is extremely smart, knows her stuff and writes great, great stuff. Um, and so I think there's I kind of came around a little bit on parts of this, which is I think there's value to this, even though it does feel in cases like let's take the most extreme examples of this and perhaps use those rather than the more common case of like we've lots all of us know people who have had phones stolen, right? Not necessarily their phones compromised their passwords changed, etc. Um, but like certainly people who've had phones stolen and one of the you know best pieces of advice, as several of us have said, is to have a stronger passcode. Now, I do think there are things that Apple could do that wouldn't necessarily add friction, but would actually make life easier. And in some cases would reduce friction. I cannot be the only person whose phone randomly sometimes asks him to re-enter his passcode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, you have reauthorized face ID and enter your passcode. Why? I don't know. I don't know why. Sometimes, yeah, it happens when you reboot, but I've had it happen totally randomly at times. Maybe it's because like the home button got pressed a bunch of times in my pocket or something. I don't know. But those are cases where maybe you had to enter a passcode, even though you do have biometrics uh, on, and that is something that could potentially be uh, alerted. Uh, to Christina's point, I do think getting rid of four-digit passcodes is great. I think also prompting people probably by default to use an alphanumeric passcode. You could let them choose to do a six-digit one if they want, but I think having the default is very powerful. I've had an alphanumeric passcode basically since bio, you know, Touch ID came to the, the iPhone um, because it just having biometrics made it so much easier. I only need it in certain cases. So that is, as you know, I think both Chris and Christina said, like one thing that's super powerful about that. We do so much work on our phones now. We have so much of our lives on our phones. We have access to our banks. We have our photos. And and I thought one interesting point that Joanna made was people keep pictures of their sensitive documents, like their passports or their social security cards in their phone because they want to have access to it. 
And it's a great, it's super convenient, but it's really bad, especially because Apple's like tech technology for searching through photos has gotten so good. You can just go type passport and find like a picture of somebody's passport in their phone. So maybe there's a feature there where it's like, hey, do you have sensitive photos? Maybe you want to protect those with a pin or something like that that is separate from your phone pin. I don't know. There are things that can be done, I think, to make improvements. I do think at the same time, you know, uh, some of this story is, again, perhaps focusing on the most extreme and most worrying cases. But I think there's always improvements to security that can be made. And especially when we rely on our phones so much for every aspect of our life, we do have to be careful about protecting that information. But thank you all for your thoughts on that. And let us go to our final topic, which comes from Chris. So when was the last time, Micah, that you felt like a clueless technophobe while you were attempting to tech when you were trying to do something and you just felt like a fool? I I don't know why, but I always end up taking on the role of like, even though it's not working in this moment, here's why it's working that way. Or here is how we could fix it. And he doesn't like the way that iPhone does photos with a high dynamic range on a lot of photos these days. And so... I was trying to explain, you know, iPhone takes photos that are as close to real as possible. And a lot of the other phones, Samsung, da 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 da, and that Snapchat camera that you love using, those are all bumping saturation and trying to make it so that you definitely post the photo or send the photo or share the photo. And it's not as realistic, but that's just one of those things where we agree to disagree. So, yeah, those are the moments where I feel like a technophobe. And I'm, I just I'm glad end up going, that we had a chance to allow you to process that. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I feel like you've reached some closure there, mate. I did reach some closure. Thank you for that, Christina. It's your turn. <laughs> you mentioned Snapchat. Got me thinking about TikTok. The TikTok UI is sometimes really terrible. And when I was first starting to use TikTok, so this was a few years ago, I remember really struggling using that app. And I've never felt older or more out of touch in my life. And I'm an early adopter. and I'm somebody who prides myself on being good with apps. But there was just something about some of how like their their interface worked that was just completely counterintuitive to every other video and photo app that I'd ever used before. Now, of course, I can use it like a pro, but that sticks out to me. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, millennials are old now because <laughs> I'm struggling with certain things that, you know, should be second nature to me. I was working recently uh, with a digital picture frame that I was trying to set up and it was just not working the way it was supposed to. And I was just sitting there like, but this is my thing. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at technology. Yes. <laughs> uh, and nothing is worse. Nothing is worse than that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I my first inclination was, as Christina said, the sort of uh, certain types of social networking that I just you know, TikTok, Snapchat. Nope. Mm, can't. I just, I, I'm sure I could if I put my mind to it. But every time I start trying to figure out these things, I just like, oh, I could be doing something else. You I think you do can do these things, I'm, Nemo, I'm, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's up there with uh, uh, Sudoku for me. I, I opened a Sudoku thing the other day thinking like, I like puzzles and I, I can do math. And then I, you know, spent like two minutes on it. it was like, I just, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I'm tired. I need to go do something else. Uh, anyways, lots of things, I guess, is this long and short of it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I have a seven-year-old daughter, and I was trying to work out how to let her play Minecraft with a friend of hers. And long after she was in bed asleep, her and her friend's dad and I 
were like frantically just sit like is it this screen like what's happening to her back and forward but that's her microsoft gamer tag that's not different from the nintendo friend code isn't it but can you add it from the friend code and it was like she's got a realm but can they play without the realm can we do local multiplayer i don't understand and it was just it was a, a sobering reminder for those of us who are as you say dan supposed to be good at tech that uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that we just can't do but <laughs> Micah made me laugh as well talking about his partner trying to get him to fix stuff and I'm, I'm the guy in this household that like fixes the tech and like when we can't fix it just my entire raison d'etre my entire personality just has gone like yeah. what am I useful Who am for I? in this what house am I? <laughs> Chris wandered into the woods <laughs> yeah there's a scene in the um, TV adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where a character it's actually Douglas Adams himself in the in the thing is just like wandering into the sea shedding clothes and digital watches and PDAs as he goes just like nah I'm done I am done <laughs> I just feel like that so often Oh, man. Uh, Well, folks, with that, it is time to move along to our bonus topic. My question for you, what is your most used emoji? Please describe it for the listeners. Christina, we'll start with you. The, the the tears crying emoji so the one that looks like the face and then you know like you're you're just wailing uh, yeah. with the, the tears streaming down your face that's that's the one that is probably my most used I guess this sums up everything about my personality. Uh, my two top ones are the smiling, but with a little bead of sweat. <laughs> uh, and uh, the grimace emoji, which yes. is my all-time favorite. Yes. <laughs> the um, emoji I couldn't live without is just the eye roll emoji. Because it's just like, oh, for the love of God. Uh, for me, it is the melting emoji where uh, the person's oh, yeah. just like sideways and melting into the ground. And oh, I love that. Yes. I love that one so much. And then the grimace are the two that I use a lot. Uh, Thank you for your answers on that. And folks, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, well, I've got a way for you to do that. You become a member of Clockwise. Go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for just $5 a month or $50 a year, and you'll help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we discuss how we manage our web browsers. With that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests, Christina Warren. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And Christopher Finn, thank you so much for being here. I've had a lovely time. Ho, ho, ho. And Micah, we'll be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.